0: Our first scripture reading today is from Exodus, Exodus 35. And we'll be reading verses 30 through 35. Then Moses said to the people of Israel See, the Lord has called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And he has filled him with the Spirit of God, with skill, with intelligence. With knowledge and with all craftsmanship. To devise artistic designs to work in gold and silver and bronze. In cutting stones for settings and in carving wood. For work in every skilled craft. And he's inspired him to teach both him and Oholiab, the son of Ahasamach of the tribe of Dan. He has filled them with skill to do every sort of work done by an engraver or by a designer. Or by an embroiderer in blue and purple and scarlet yarns, in fine twined linen, or by a weaver, by any sort of workman or skilled designer. Our New Testament reading today comes from Ephesians, this is chapter 2, and we'll start with verse 20, or start with verse 10, rather. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Therefore, remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at the time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we have both access and one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens of the household of God. Uh, built on the foundations of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are being built together. Into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So uh, we are continuing our study of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. Uh, So as we've been working through this uh, sermon series, one of the basic, one of the fundamental points here that I've been making is that the Holy Spirit, its job seems to be to work to bring life and flourishing into the world. And We've switched gears last week, so we, uh, we developed some fundamental principles uh, from uh, the creation stories and the Psalms in the Old Testament, and now what we're doing is looking at a few specific cases in which the Holy Spirit works through individuals. And my plan is uh, to look at these as almost case studies of the different ways that the Holy Spirit accomplishes this goal of bringing life and flourishing to the world. And already, uh, what I've been, uh, this is, uh, is, I've worked through this, uh, I, I've been surprised at a lot of things, but one of the things that I've been surprised at uh, most is how the Holy Spirit, how the Old Testament sees the Spirit work in ways that are more ordinary and less supernatural than we might have thought. For example, last week, we saw the Holy Spirit at work in wise public policy and administration. Uh, Now, the reason I want to make this point is not because it's my goal to demystify the Holy Spirit. Far from it. My point is for us to expand our view of the Holy Spirit so that we do not overlook or neglect the various ways that the Holy Spirit can bring about life and flourishing. And it is my hope that by looking at these studies, we will uh, uh, see different ways uh, that different people in the congregation, uh, maybe some that have never really felt that spiritual, uh, actually are spiritual. Uh, just as uh, we talked about a few weeks ago, uh, Dr. Chris uh, told us about uh, the, the analogy Paul uses of the body, where we need a hand and a feet and a nose and ears and eyes. All of those need to work together uh, for uh, the the body to work. Now, Uh, Today we're going to look at the Holy Spirit, uh, how the Holy Spirit works through uh, two individuals here, Bezalel and Aholiab. And I'm pretty excited about this because I've been fascinated by these two individuals for many years. I just think these guys are cool. Um, They actually make several appearances in uh, Exodus. Um, But those of you who have been in my uh, small groups or Sunday school classes over the years know my fascination with the tabernacle and the Ark of the Covenant. And it was Bezalel and Aholiab who were the craftsmen who made the tabernacle and the Ark of the Covenant. So that's why I think they're super cool. So I'm really excited to do this uh, sermon on them. But um, according to our passage from Exodus, both of these men were filled with the Spirit and appointed by God because they had the ability, intelligence, and knowledge to work with metal, stone, wood, and every other craft. And it's this filling of the Holy Spirit and how this works that I want us to look at today and examine in some more detail. But first, in order to do this, as usual, we need to see how this passage from Exodus fits into the overall context. And I'm hoping by doing so that we'll start to make some connections uh, between some different concepts that we may not have seen as connected. Um, This particular story is placed toward the end of the book of Exodus. So Exodus has 40 chapters. This is chapter 35. Uh, So as you know, as we all know, uh, who went to Sunday school, Exodus begins with the Hebrews enslaved in Egypt. Uh, Worse, a pharaoh who did not know Joseph... And, and how Joseph uh, had saved uh, Egypt from the famine was in charge. And this Pharaoh feared the Hebrews because there were so many of them. And so he ordered the execution of the Hebrew baby boys as a means of population control. Now... Uh, The problem with that was that God had commanded specifically for the Hebrews to be fruitful and multiply. Uh, He had promised their ancestor Abraham that his descendants would be numerous. So Pharaoh's edict was not just evil in and of itself. He was directly opposing uh, the plan God had for his people. Uh, You can almost think a a good way to think of uh, Pharaoh here is an anti-creation force. Okay, So... As a result, God unleashes the forces of creation against the Egyptians through a series of plagues, and he ultimately takes the lives of the Egyptian firstborn sons. Uh, At the Sea of Reeds, the Egyptian army is destroyed when a wind, and guess what word wind is there, Ruach, yes, nice. Everybody knows their Hebrew. I love it. Uh, it unleashes the power of the chaotic waters. Anybody wanna anybody remember that word for, for, for the, the, the the chaotic waters? How many church points? How many church points? A thousand resurrection church points if you get it right, Gabe. Yeah? Anybody remember to home to home right? So so you can see that these themes from Genesis uh, continue into Exodus with God blessing the Hebrews with life and abundance, which Pharaoh is attempting to stifle. And uh, God responds by unleashing the forces of chaos on Egypt, returning Egypt to the uncreated state of formlessness and emptiness where the boundaries are no longer maintained. He's reversing creation. Uh, so we're getting to that point at the beginning of Genesis before the Holy Spirit arrives on the scene. Uh, the Hebrews escape Egypt and are led through the wilderness by the Spirit in the form of a cloud that guides them by day and a pillar of fire that leads them by night. And again, we see the Ruach appearing, confronting the formlessness and void of the wilderness and providing the Hebrews with freedom, life, and abundance. Uh, This theme continues when the spirit and presence of God descends on Mount Sinai when God gives the people the law. And so uh, the law is actually codifying, in a way, the freedom of the exodus. Uh, It frees the people from servitude to other gods and idols like those in Egypt. It establishes the family as the fundamental unit of society rather than hierarchies of aristocrats and kings. It gives them rest. Uh, the the Egyptian they were slaves in Egypt and their only value was what they could produce. Uh, the 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 Sabbath frees them uh, from being boiled down to only uh, what they could produce. It protects the family and their property and life. And the Hebrews using these laws as their foundation the goal was to create a society of neighborliness, uh, a society whose ethic was neighborliness in contrast to the exploitation and oppression that was characteristic of Egypt. Uh, Remember back to the Psalms, we studied where God's justice and righteousness was connected uh, with creation in the spirit. So you see these themes kind of building and connecting. it, 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 we're talking about order and creation uh, being repeated and worked out in uh, different but related ways in the Exodus, the same idea of, uh, of the Spirit. Um, the last section of Exodus concludes with the construction of the tabernacle, which is the, the, where God is actually going to meet with the Hebrews. And in the last chapter of Exodus, uh, you have this beautiful picture of the Spirit of God moving into the tabernacle. It's a dramatic scene. So the very presence of God, the Ruach, the spirit that's been guiding them, the Ruach that was present in creation is now here in this tabernacle. And so um, if you've been kind of fallen here, you can almost divide, a, a good way to think about Exodus is to divide it into three parts. There's basically three big sections. The first part is the escape from Pharaoh. The second part is the giving of the law. And the last section is the construction of the tabernacle. And so what that means is that the whole book of Exodus is about the spirit and the end goal of the Exodus is the spirit dwelling in the midst of God's people. So the spirit acts in the first part as a liberator. Uh, It acts in the second part as ordering uh, a just and righteous society. And in the third part, uh, the spirit's presence is made uh, known to the people. So Um, The point here is that the Exodus is more than just about uh, freedom for a God's people, but it's also about forming a just and righteous people in which the Spirit of God is present with the people. So the tabernacle plays a really important role as the place where the Holy Spirit is present and which the people have access to. However, what I want to argue is that the tabernacle is much more than a means to an end. And if we can understand that, if we can see the bigger picture of the tabernacle and what exactly it's about, we will see how the Holy Spirit works in Bezalel in a holy Bob, and what um, might that mean for us. Now, the first thing we do... As we can tell, uh, as we look at the story uh, more specifically, the first thing is their names. Okay, Bezalel and a Holy Bob. Their names. Um, Bez- Bezalel means something like "in the shadow of God," and a means "my father is a tent." Uh, The tent being like, you know, uh, like a place of shelter, of a place of protection. And so, you know, you can see by their names that their destiny is almost connected with this construction of the tabernacle. Uh, The tabernacle was a mobile cloth structure, like a tent. And it was the place where God was centered. Uh, Both names of these men are appropriate. And... What I think that means is it's making an important point that's just more than just mere trivia about their names. Uh, Bezelal and a Holy Bob are skilled craftsmen. They've been skilled craftsmen all their lives. Like Joseph, uh, like we talked about with Joseph, they have practiced and honed their skill for years. Uh, When the text tells us they were filled with the Holy Spirit, it doesn't mean that all of a sudden they had an influx of the Spirit and then they were endowed with some kind of miraculous skills. This isn't like Keanu Reeves in The Matrix, like all of a sudden knowing Kung Fu. All right, that was, uh, for those of you who understand that reference, and you should. Bezalel and Aholibab already had these skills. Their whole life had been leading up to this point, And now this was the moment when they can use those skills to their utmost. Bezalel and Aholibab then were artists. They had uh, developed these skills over the lifetime. And now they were ready at this pivotal moment uh, to exercise their skills the, the word here is filled, and it means filled in the sense of lavishness and abundance, like overflowing. You're supposed to picture like a, a pitcher of water that just, just can't be contained. Uh, it, it's the abundance of the gifts that God is giving them. They were full and overflowing with skill. They are more than capable of creating the amazing work of art in the middle of the desert. So the question then is why is the Holy Spirit Involved in something as mundane as the construction of a tabernacle, of a tent. And why do we have something like 15 chapters in Exodus that describe this tabernacle being constructed in exhausting detail? You, know, you never hear sermons from this like, third part of Exodus because it is just over and over, chapter and chapter, of like, minute details about the building of this tabernacle. But as I said, the tabernacle is more than just a means to an end. The tabernacle is a symbol, and it's a symbol of the cosmos as it was meant to be with God's presence filling it. You see, the tabernacle was the picture of the universe in microcosm. So if you'll recall, uh, the the tabernacle is made of three sections, okay? There's the, the outer court, the, the holy place, and then the holy of holies. And these three sections were uh, symbolic of the three dimension divisions of the universe according to the cosmology of their times, the earth, the sky, and the divine realm of heaven. For example, if you think about the tabernacle in the outer court, you have an altar made of uh, uncut stone of rocks. It was, it was piled up, it, it looked like a mountain or a hill. And then you had a bronze basin beside it that was filled with water. You also had lots of carvings of trees and uh, fruit that adorned the walls. In the holy place, uh, there was a giant uh, candle uh, uh, that had uh, several, or it was actually like a giant stand that had several candles that were meant to represent the sun and moon and the stars in the sky. The curtains in this area were made of blue, purple, and red, the colors we see in the sky. And then, of course, the Holy of Holies is the place where the Spirit actually resides. And it's also where the Ark of the Covenant was, which was connected uh, to the heavenly throne of God. Now, there's some really neat parallels uh, between how the book of Exodus describes the construction of the tabernacle... Uh, with the way Genesis 1 describes the creation of heaven and earth. And I could go on and on about that, but I, I, I think it would probably only interest you, a few of you, so I want. But the main point is, the take-home message here is that the tabernacle is connected with creation. The tabernacle is presented as a creation event, and it points to an idolized world in which God's glory fills the cosmos, and God and his people meet together I will be your God and you will be my people is a phrase that is repeated throughout the Torah this is the goal of creation now If you think about it, if you think ahead, if you're starting to track with this, like I said, I'm trying to give some kind of big picture stuff so that you can take some of these concepts and figure out where to hang them. uh, Because I want to see how all this relates together. I think this is really important. This is one of the big problems I think we have a lot of times with sermons. We take these individual passages and we look at them and don't connect them to the overall big picture. But if you think ahead to Revelation, and I know that's a, that's a long way toward the end of the Bible, but at the end of Revelation, Revelation ends with the temple, which of course is the successor of this tabernacle that Bezalel and holy are building. And it comes back, and we have the voice from the throne saying, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. So you have that theme coming back there. Uh, In the world of the new creation, the cosmos is ordered. Life is abundant and flourishing as God had always intended for it to be. So if we understand that big story there, we see how the tabernacle fits into that narrative. As a symbol, the tabernacle refers back to creation, but it also points forward to new creation. It is a work of art that, that 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 works to teach and communicate in a very vivid way the glory of the universe and God's plan for his creation. So think about that for a minute. This isn't just a means to an end. It's a work of art. Think about... Um, you know, uh, seeing, uh, who, you know, who doesn't love, like, like for example, you know, uh, this is one that we probably all at one time have come across, but think about Starry Night. I mean, when you look at Vincent van Gogh's Starry Night, I mean, who isn't blown away by how beautiful that uh, painting is? You experience the beauty of the night sky, but you feel its uh, grandeur and its awe. Uh, this is the idea we're going for in the tabernacle. We're trying to create that emotion. We're trying to create that sense of, uh, uh, of awe, just like when we experience a work of art. So if we take these ideas and we think through the passage, what we have is the Holy Spirit promoting art and creativity and in Bezalel and in Aholibab just as the Spirit had promoted uh, administration and management in Joseph. They're very different skill sets. But I think we are already seeing uh, some ways that the Holy Spirit can work through art and creativity. Art is creation, right? You start with, with nothing and you make something. And we see that the story of the Bible begins with creation. And it also ends with a vision of new creation. The whole Bible is about creation. And as we have seen, creation is the place where the spirit works. The Genesis story describes the action of God using the same verbs that would be used from a craftsman, like a potter, just as a potter forms the clay, it's God is forming the creation. God creates humans, and he commissions humanity as creators. Think about it. Adam exercises his creativity as he names the animals. Adam's first recorded words are a poem. As the very image of God, it makes sense that humanity would be creators as well. Bezalel in a holy Bob creative vision of the new creation. And just like Bezalel and Aholi bob, artists can take the materials of the world and use it to show the beauty and glory of the new creation. Now, here's the thing about new creation. And a new creation is not just something in the future that is far away. What no one expected when Jesus came and taught the kingdom of God is that the kingdom of God would be a gradual invasion. The kingdom of God breaks into the world like a mustard seed, but it grows. It's like leaven that is insignificant, but eventually permeates the whole dough. As Luke says in chapter 17, the kingdom of God is not coming so that you may say, look, here it is, or there, for the whole. behold, the kingdom of God is in your midst. So art can be a part of that. Art, no matter what form it takes, can be a picture. It can be a symbol of the kingdom breaking into this world just as it was with the tabernacle. So it seems natural then that the Holy Spirit would be involved in these areas because they all involve creation. And here's what I think is really awesome about this idea. Because it flies directly into the face of what we moderns think is important. For us, everything has to have utility. And so we look at art and we go, that's pretty, but what's the point really? Yet, isn't that what God is all about? Here's the thing. I said this when we were studying the Song of Songs, and I think this is a really important point. God does not need us. There is nothing that we can do for God. And that means that our relationship with God is not transactional in any way. There is no utility or practicality for our existence. The only reason we are here is because God simply wants us to be here, just as a piece of art exists just because the artist wants to create. We value utility and practicality because we see the world as limited, as finite and scarce, but new creation is not. The Holy Spirit fills and it creates life, flourishing in an abundance. And art reflects this abundance and limitlessness of God by bringing something into existence that did not exist. In this way, art is an act of faith. It is, a, it is an acknowledgement of the grace that surrounds us. That's why I love that poem by Wendell Berry I asked you to read a few weeks ago, because I love how it ends. The poet leaves behind his anxiety and he experiences the abundance of beauty of nature. And he describes it as resting in the grace of the world. Because this is the thing about creation. Creation is abundant and crazy. And there are plenty of examples of things that are Absolutely unnecessary. So a few weeks ago, I was watching with the kids. I love watching the Planet Earth series. You know, who doesn't love those David Attenborough talking and narrating and just those beautiful pictures. And there was this uh, segment that was about this lake in Africa that had like a million flamingos around it. And there's no reason in this world there needs to be a million flamingos beside a lake. Flamingos are weird and crazy and pink and strange looking. And why does there need to be a million of them? but I love it. I love that picture of it. Why does a duck-billed platypus exist? There's no reason you'd be hard pressed to find anything useful or practical about it, but I'm glad it does. I like it when I'm scrolling through Twitter and someone posts that picture of the little baby duck-billed platypus. I love that. I just think that's a testament to God's beauty and abundance. So if it is true that God created out of abundance, out of grace, and out of love for no other reason than because God wanted to, that means that usefulness, efficiency, and practicality are not the only virtues we need to live by. We can also value beauty, splendor, and awe, or any, you know, exactly the kind of emotions we experience with art. And we, we we can see too that it is spiritual, it's holy, it's Christian. The story of uh, the story of Bezalel and Oholibob testifies to this idea of abundance. Uh, The tabernacle is built by materials presented by the people as offerings. And at one point, Moses has to tell the people they have to stop presenting offerings because there's too much. In addition, Bezalel and Oholibob do not just make a tabernacle. They also share their skills to teach others. Again, the ability to teach and share is a testament to how much the Spirit has filled them with skill and wisdom. Again, this points to the abundance of God and creation. Now, if this sounds just a little too artsy and mystical for you. And look, I'm not an artsy person. I'm not a creative person. I read this and I have to go with what the text tells me. And, and, and so, you know, I get it if this makes you feel a little bit uncomfortable. And so what would I say to that? Well, first I would say, last week I preached a whole sermon on bureaucracy, administration, and operations management is a gift of the Holy Spirit. So there. But I would also point to Paul, Mr. Theology himself. Because you can see the same line of thought in our passage from e- Ephesians today. Look at Ephesians 2.10. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Now, the word for worksmanship here is the Greek word poima. Poima. Now, what does that sound like? It's where we get our word poem from. Worksmanship is a fine translation here, but so is poem or art. One writer even suggests that we uh, translate it as masterpiece. And notice the point of God's worksmanship is to create good works. God has made us to imitate him in the world. We create, we are created so we can create. So then the passage goes on to explain that while our purpose is to create, we were once a people that did not share this purpose. Verse 12 says we were alienated from the covenant of promise. In other words, we were alienated from the gifts of the Exodus, those things we talked about earlier, freedom the just and equitable society of neighborliness that was created by the law at Sinai, the beauty, the splendor of the presence of God that fills the tabernacle. Those are the things that we were alienated from. But as a result of Christ, this has changed because Christ has brought shalom. He's brought peace, a better vision of a better world. And as a result of Christ, now we can all take part in Christ's mission. And that mission is no less than bringing about the new creation. Exactly what the art and craftsmanship of Bezalel and Aholiab were pointing towards. And notice too how the passage ends with a picture of a new temple that is being constructed. Just as Bezalel and a holy Bob help construct a picture of the new creation, we take part in the construction of this new creation. We bring Christ shalom into the world, along with freedom and justice and righteousness, and so fulfill the scriptures. Join together these works of art we create, grow into the holy temple of the world, and just with this, as with the tabernacle, verse twenty-two ends with the Holy Spirit dwelling in our midst so we see that the story of the bible and their story of our lives is creation to new creation and you can see from our passage in ephesians today that paul totally gets that the creators among us then in whatever form that takes can help us bring this about by capturing our imaginations and our emotions and showing us showing the world a better, more beautiful way. There are many forms that this can take, just as there are many different forms of art and making of creation. As with our administrators that we talked about last week, we need to see our artists as every bit a part of the Spirit's work for they anticipate the new creation and help us grasp the generosity of God, the grace of God. There are many different forms it can take, but whatever form it takes, we must encourage it rather than engage with our tendency to restrain or redirect those efforts in the name of efficiency, utility, or practicality. Instead, we need to show the world hope as a result of our faith in the grace of a God who creates life, abundance, and flourishing. The task is absolutely audacious. You have to be a little audacious to be an artist. But it is sacred, beautiful work that faithfully reflects our Creator and joins along with the Spirit in its work in bringing about the new creation.